You didn't use your time machine to go back and alter history in inextricable ways. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share their views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Today's topic, we're talking about Wink, Texas, and the Texas Boomtowns. Before we get started, what's your favorite Six Flags ride, Scott? Um, I'm partial to Shockwave. It's like Grease Lightning, twice. I always like the Spelunker Cave. I've never been to Six Flags. <gasps> Blasphemy. It's just wrong. So one thing Texas is famous for is its boomtowns. These are communities that just spring up around all kinds of industries that are happening. There were mining boomtowns like Shafter and Terlingua near Big Bend National Park. They both experienced mining booms in the 1880s, but today they're ghost towns. That's right, Scott. Another type of uh, boomtown was the railroad town, which were founded and boomed as the various railroads were being built across the state. Harold, which is near Wichita Falls, was founded in 1884 as the terminus of the Fort Worth and Denver City Railroad. And for a short time, it boomed with about 1,500 people, eight churches, 16 saloons. When the railroad moved on, though, the population steadily climbed back to under 300. And when I lived there in 86, 1986, I knew the names of every school kid that was in the district. You mean you didn't live there in 1886? No, I did not. You didn't use your time machine to go back and alter history in inextricable ways? Yes, I did. That's why we're here. Wars are another thing that can cause boomtowns to flourish. Orange, Sweetwater, and Payout all experienced booms during the war years. Orange was on the Gulf Coast with shipbuilding Sweetwater and Payote, and were in West Texas, and they had a huge Air, uh, Army Air Force bases during World War II. And there's also tobacco boomtowns. Willis, near Houston, experienced a boom in the late 1800s due to the high demand for tobacco. So the oil boomtown, and that is the thing that I think most people think of when they think Texas is... Texas oil. I mean, maybe it's just because of Dallas, the TV show. You know, no, no, we don't have that kind of copyright money. Thank you very much. These boom towns both sprung up and grew much more rapidly uh, into a larger size than the earlier boom towns. Oil had been actually observed in Texas since the 1860s, but it wasn't widely exploited. It was often seen as a nuisance uh, to farmers and ranchers as they were digging for water wells. There was a rancher named W.T. Wagner, whose land Harold set on. Uh, he stated in 1902, I wanted water and they got me oil. I tell you, I was mad, 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 clean through. And of course, he died a multimillionaire so, uh, as an oil man, so he probably didn't stay mad. But I bet his cows were very thirsty. They were quite thirsty. In the early 1900s, the rise of the automobile made oil profitable, and oil men looked for oil in Texas. The iconic first gusher blowout in 1901 at Spindletop resulted in the most productive oil well in history, launching the Texas boom and transformed nearby Beaumont from a modest timber town to a bustling oil city. Later strikes near Houston and west of Dallas resulted in rapid growth to towns such as Umble and Ranger, which still exist today, and Moonshine Hill and Desdemona, which have faded away. But in the 1930s, the massive East Texas oil field was discovered in northeast Texas. The farming towns of Henderson and Kilgore experienced radical growth. Kilgore alone had over a thousand producing wells within the city limits and was known as the world's richest acre. Corresponding with the oil booms throughout Texas and with the rise of offshore drilling in the 1930s and 40s in the Gulf of Mexico, there's been a rise of the great refinery and pipeline towns along the coast, such as Port Arthur, Pasadena, Lake Jackson, and my own hometown, Texas City. 
Now, Mike, why did oil booms happen so fast and towns get so big? Well, it's like Sean said earlier. Oil was known, but it was unexploited. There was a big interest in finding new fields in in underdeveloped lands. These wildcat wells were drilled outside of known oil or gas fields. And so wildcatters took all the risk to find and exploit the fields by drilling discovery wells to first capture the oil when the price is the highest. Following the the age-old finders keepers rule, the first person to capture a resource owns that resource. The wildcatters would move into an unexploited territory, find oil, get it quick, and then move on to new leases, reselling their old leases to others for long-term production. So they get that first initial rush of the most profitable oil. In the earliest unregulated days, there'd be dozens of leases and hundreds of wells in a single field, all trying to get as much oil out of the ground as possible. So like a bunch of people with their own straws stuck in one big margarita. This type of exploitation was detrimental to the long-term viability of these fields and leases. Uh, You know, rapid pumping reduces pressure, introduces water into the salt domes containing the oil, and then, you know, it drains the neighboring leases within the field. The boom rose rapidly because of the oil drilling and pumping. It it takes a lot of man labor. It's a very intense and difficult work. So the large number of these leases that were established meant that the new wells had to be constantly built, meaning more crews, more people, and everything operates around the clock nonstop. So oil workers tend to be migratory. They bring their families to camps and towns, and these towns turned into metropolises in the middle of nowhere. A very famous one that uh, we have a very personal connection to on the podcast is Wink, Texas. It's a very small town in West Texas near the New Mexico Angle and was one of the last big boom towns and was very typical of this experience. Wink is where my dad's family is from, and we did come to the, that town because of, the, uh, because of the oil that was there and the jobs. Uh, prior to 1926, Winkler County, which is Wink, where Wink is in, it was a ranching prairie. It was near the Caprock in the desert and is populated by fewer than 60 people. Uh, the entire area is part of the Permian Basin, which is an ancient seabed, and it's, that's rich with oil and natural gas. In the 1920s, oil exploitation in the area had actually resulted in booms already for other ranching towns in the area, Odessa, Midland, Monahans, and Pecos. In July of 1926, on the Hendrick Ranch in western Winkler County, oil was discovered. A camp was established there in the horse pasture, so it was a camp of tents, and that was the foundation of the town. By 1928, the town of Wink had grown to a population of nearly uh, 20,000, with a school, post office, churches. There were five hospitals, 15 doctors, and dozens of businesses, including a general store, a post office, a drugstore, theater, and various cafes and saloons. And of course, this brought a this huge influx of people and money into this area quickly attracted a very large criminal element. Prostitution, gambling and bootlegging were really rampant. And the murder rate was actually 10 times the national average. Corruption was also rampant. The first chief of police was an escapee from an Oklahoma prison. The entire town government were all in the pocket of a bootlegger named Heavy Brackeen. Heavy had killed an ex-Texas ranger turned outlaw named John Northcutt in a shootout when Northcutt tried to take over the town in 1929. Everybody wanted Wink. Right, an ex-Texas ranger. That's kind of a scary thought. Heavy later kidnapped and threatened County Sheriff Bill Priest for attempting to enforce the law a bit too effectively. It was only with the arrival of a truly effective and honest deputy sheriff, Ellis Summers, in 1931, and the efforts of local reformers that the lawless days subsided. Now, you've got a connection to Ellis Summers. 
Ellis Summers was the sheriff for a number of years in the 1930s and 40s. He wore two guns on his belt and a suit coat over it so nobody would steal those guns. But my great-grandfather had a bit of a drinking problem, and uh, my aunts told me that uh, Ellis Summers actually threatened to run him out of town if he didn't stop uh, drinking and carousing too much. This was in the mid-1930s. Production was down in West Texas. By 1940, the population was under 2,000. So that's a period of about, what, 15 years that it went from 60 to 20,000 and back down to 2,000. Right, and the population actually dropped earlier than that. During the war years, though, obviously demand for oil goes up again. And so for all those towns, they did experience booms again, and the population rose up to over 6,000. This is when my uh, great-grandfather and my grandmother and her sister moved to, to town. At the end of the war, there was another decline in the population, but it declined a bit more slowly. It stabilized at just around 1,000. Almost everybody there was oil workers or employees at the school. In the 1960s, most of the production then switched to natural gas over oil, though everything kept pumping and did heavy production until the early 80s. Part of my family is in the oil and gas business, and my uncle uh, worked for a long time in the natural gas business, so I'm excited to see the rise of natural gas. In the 60s, most of the remaining buildings from the original war booms were torn down, and then they were part of the federal urban renewal. And there was a big controversy about that. My dad told me that they got a couple million dollars to renovate this town, and it was a small, tiny little town in the middle of the desert in West Texas, and they actually had Walter Cronkite was there with CBS Evening News reporting on this story. People were mad that they were getting this money, but... They really needed it. My great-grandfather, Jesse Barrett, he moved his family to Wink in 43 to work on the pipeline for what is now Chevron. And then my dad's mom was in uh, high school. That's my grandmother. When they moved, after the war, she married my grandfather, who was from the same hometown as my great-grandfather. And they moved to Wink, uh, where my grandfather, he had a job originally as a truck driver and then as a roustabout, which a roustabout, they just are general workers. They're They're the... front-level workers. There's a hierarchy to oil workers. There's roustabouts, there's roughnecks, there's pipe fitters, there's foremen, there's all kinds of stuff. But he worked his way up to foreman. Roustabout sounds like a much better job than it actually is. It actually, yeah, it's not. A, my dad did roustabouts when he was in high school, and he one of his jobs was cleaning out an oil tank, which was the filthiest job he ever worked. My dad was born in Monahans, but he grew up in Wink, uh, went to high school there, graduated from high school there. My grandfather was a plant manager at a gas separating plant near Wink. I remember going there as a little kid. So he was a good representative for what became uh, Amoco and later Amoco is part of British Petroleum now. The Hendrick well, uh, the Hendrick field is still actually in production. It sent, as of 2010, it's pumped nearly 300 million barrels of oil, which is a huge amount of oil. Today, Wink and all of Texas are experiencing a tremendous oil boom. In the early 80s, the bottom dropped out and the price of oil remained low throughout the 90s. Natural gas production was far more productive. I remember fields and fields and fields of of stopped pump jacks everywhere. I can remember living in Corpus in 1983 when the bottom dropped out and, and how much it affected everything where we lived. But in the 2000s, oil has steadily increased in price to meteoric heights. But more importantly, the rise of induced hydraulic fracturing or fracking has revitalized existing fields and created new finds in previously unproductive shale formations. This resulted in a massive boom throughout South and West Texas, where the new exploitation of the Barnett and Eagle Ford shale formations and major revivals of the Permian Basin and other fields has seen a massive influx of jobs and money to the regions. Now, this is important to me because my parents are originally from a town, Poth and Kennedy. Kennedy is important because Kennedy is right on the Eagle Ford shale. 
Carnes County, Carnes City, Kennedy, all of those areas are seeing huge development productions. I mean, people have been just drilling wells for the last few years, and it you watch a tiny town ultimately transform. There's huge truck dealership in town now. They're revitalizing the movie theater. They're building hotels anywhere they can. You see parking lots that are just filled with travel trailers where the oil workers are living. And everyone is well aware of the boom because they've been through it before. But you see that the city is really trying to capture the enterprising time of the boom to revitalize the infrastructure to get this sort of establishment in place. And Odessa and Midland are experiencing the same thing. There's there's literally no housing in, in Odessa to be found. My uncle has got a job there and moved back there. They had to, you know, they're living in an apartment outside of the city because there's people living, there's people living up to 50 miles away just to work in that area. Growing up in Texas City, I can't say that I've personally experienced any sort of real boom because there's not oil being produced there. But Texas City was established as a port and a pipeline endpoint where all the oil from offshore and other places would come in. They offloaded in Texas City and either gets shipped through a pipeline elsewhere or it gets refined right there in town. There's several different refineries there. Growing up there, if someone in your family didn't work there, you at least knew someone who did. And my dad's dad came to Texas City from Galveston to work at Union Carbide, where he spent many, many years. And my dad worked at Monsanto and then became Sterling Chemical. And my uncle works, still works at the refinery there in town. And there's a bunch of guys that I went to high school with that work at the refineries now. There's the boom and bust where the oil is drilled, but in Texas City, it's kind of a steady stream coming through there. I think it's interesting as we talk about this is that everyone here... Everyone probably listening, if they have some connection to Texas, has some connection to the oil, the refinery business, an uncle, an aunt, a cousin, someone who's been influenced by oil in Texas. It's part of our legacy and part of what we are. The last point to make to talk about, you know, sort of the references of the boomtowns and the oil in popular culture. I mean, we've already alluded to Dallas, popular television show from the early 1980s, and the new version came out. But there's classic films like Giant, starring James Dean and Elizabeth Taylor. There's the movie Stars Fell on Henrietta, which is specifically about the early days of oil in Texas. You know, I haven't seen it. but It's not that great of a movie, but it's, got a, it's, a, it's a good movie to watch. It's filmed in some historic towns in Texas. Probably the best movie to watch to get a feel of what the early days of oil drilling were like is uh, there, will be, there Will Be Blood. It's set in California, but you get to you get a feel for the the very early days in the early 1900s of the, the initially they had to dig for the oil with their hands and use buckets to pump it out. But with the cable rig drills and the 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 gushers, you know, the, we talked about the gushers earlier. Those are incredibly dangerous and very wasteful. And and there's a big scene about a gusher happening uh, in this film. Now, if you want to see what life is truly like in Texas in an oil refinery. I highly recommend the amazing 70s film, Urban Cowboy. Urban Cowboy, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, and, not you, about boomtowns, though. Uh, it's not about boomtowns, yeah. but it is about, it is about oil. oil. And uh, large portions were filmed at Gillies in Houston. Another good one, tangentially about oil, is the, the, the Hellfighters, which is a John Wayne movie about famous oil well, oil firefighter Red Adair, who may be a subject of the future podcast. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so please follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast or go to brainstaple.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm at Mac Sean with two N's. I am Scotticus on Twitter. If you like the show, please tell your friends, leave a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook. It all really helps us out. 
We hope you join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs>